I've got something really simple this morning, okay? And, um, you know, one of the great things about the Word of God is if you apply yourself to it, you learn something new all the time. And it's not that there's anything new in the Word, but that as you read it and you allow the Word to kind of sink in, and we talked a little bit about this last week, is that, is that revelation comes and understanding comes. And then the way it works with me is I see how it is applied to my life. And then principles begin to come out and, and, and ways, ways it can apply to other people it comes out. And there's all kind of different methods that we can use to teach. And I told you last week, we just kind of you know, rocking along last week, and I told you how the Lord kind of gives me inspiration sometimes. Well, this week, <laughs> sometimes it's a thought, and sometimes it's a word, and sometimes it's a verse. And, and this week, it's kind of been a whole chapter of things. And it's about how Jesus, after a, an extravagant miracle, about how... He, well, let me just go ahead and tell you about this. You remember when Jesus fed the 5,000 in Galilee? Janie and I and uh, Cheryl and Monica and um, Daylene actually went to the Sea of Galilee and we saw the place where the Gadarean lived, the guy who was possessed with a thousand demons. And buddy, I'm telling you, where he lived, he had to be possessed with a thousand demons too because that was a nasty looking place. We saw, we saw where Jesus in um, the sea where he, he, he got his disciples to cast on the other side of the net, the other side of the boat, and they took in a, a catch so big it almost sank two ships. And all the miracles on the Sea of Galilee, and the, and the whole place came alive. And one of the things that, one of the places we saw was, was the hillside. I guess it was probably on the, on the northwestern side of Galilee, right next to Capernaum, where there was this big, uh, this, 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 the mountains go up from the sea, it's like a big old hill, it's, I guess you'd call it a mountain, but anyway, it's a big hill, and it's covered with a pasture where the sheep and, and all the other animals eat, and it's where Jesus actually preached to the 5,000 and multiplied the fish and the loaves. And it's a really cool place because I'd always wondered how Jesus could teach and, and talk to 5,000 people at one time, and they could all hear him. Well, it's an amphitheater-like effect on the ocean, on the, on, this, on the sea there. And all he had to do was speak, and his voice would just carry right up the hill. And so it's important sometimes to have a, have a mental connection with the Scripture. And so that helps me sometimes too. But this morning I want to talk about the day after Jesus fed the 5,000. That's interesting. The scriptural record, I'm going to be, I'm going to be going in uh, John 6 here in just a little bit. But the interesting thing is, is after Jesus fed the 5,000 and, and after they took the fragments up, and after all this, the Scripture says that the people would have actually taken Jesus and made Him a king. Interesting, isn't it? And so that evening, Jesus knowing that, He slips away into the mountain and He goes to pray. While he's doing that, his disciples get in the boat and start going across to sea. That's when the storm comes up. They, they row real hard and, and Jesus comes walking on the water. And when Jesus got into the boat with them miraculously, all the ruin was over and they were on the other side. Well, 
The next morning, all that crowd of people got up that he fed. I suppose they slept on the hillside at night. I don't know. But they got up and began to look for Jesus, and they discovered that he had left. So what they do is is they get on boats and stuff, and, and they cross over to the other side looking for Jesus. And they, ask that they, they find Jesus. Now, this is the crowd that was going to make him king, okay? And so they find Jesus, and they ask him a question in verse 25 of chapter 6. And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Now, see, that, that was not a real question. See, that's not what was on their heart. They just, they, they used the question to begin to engage Jesus in conversation like they were real interested in finding him for his person. Like we, just, just kind of like this, you know, we've been, Jesus, we've been looking for you. We've missed you. Why did you slip out on us? When and why did you come here? And so Jesus then begins a dialogue where he really messes them up. And I want to share some of this dialogue with you this morning and the points at which Jesus messes with the crowd. You know Jesus messed with you? Yeah, bad. He messed with you. Now, this is Jesus' response. He said, Verily, verily, this is in verse 26, Verily, verily, or of a truth I say to you, You seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat the loaves and were filled. Then he says, labor not for the meat which perishes, but for that meat which endures unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. And so Jesus says, you're not looking for me. Let me just go ahead and jump into this. You're not looking for me because of what God is doing. You're looking for me because you have discovered I have a capacity to fill your gut. In other words, I can three times a day. You figured out that I can can manufacture or I can multiply food and fill your belly. And you're looking for me because it's time for the next meal. You're not looking for me because of what God can do. You're not looking for me for the signs. You're looking for me because of what I can do for you. Fill your belly. And that brings up a whole question to me today. When we're in pursuit of Jesus, number one, I think that we are familiar and we are schooled in what God can do through Jesus. We are are very much aware that God works miracles and and He's supernatural. We're very much aware that He supplies our needs. We know about that. But when we seek for Jesus, what are we looking for? Are we looking for today's bread? Are we looking for today's provision? Is that the thing that is of paramount importance to us? Or are we looking for something deeper? It's one thing to have The mental acuity, it's one thing to have the mental capacity to actually be able to to understand what Jesus is doing in terms of daily provision. The Scripture teaches that, doesn't He? And He feeds me every day. But what's important to me? 
Is it the fact that He's going to feed me every day? Or do I rest in the confidence that He's going to do that so I can move on to the next thing? Y'all ain't getting this. Y'all ain't ain't getting this. This crowd comes to Him with what I call a poverty mentality. That's really where they were. And and as we begin to explore the rest of this Scripture, I think that will become apparent. But they come to him with a poverty mentality. And I'm going to be frank with you. I'll be absolutely honest, above board. There are days, and there have been days, when my only concern, I could not see tomorrow because of what I thought I was lacking today. Totally encompassed, surrounded, and gripped by a spirit of poverty and fear for lack that I could not see what God was doing. And that's what Jesus is addressing here. Haven't we received the promise already that He's not going to let us go hungry? He's going to provide food and shelter and clothing and all those things for us? You see, with Jesus, that is a moot point. That is one of the simple teachings of Scripture. When you preach the gospel and you begin to tell people about the glorious provision of Jesus, one of the things that we learn immediately is He's our provider, Jehovah Jireh. Boy, that was one of the first things I heard when we came into the charismatic end of things. We began to hear about this Jehovah Jireh, the Lord our provider. And that is a basic fundamental truth. To the Word of God. He's going to take care of me. Do you believe God's going to take care of you? Amen. But there have been some days I haven't really been too keen on the notion that God could or would take care of me. I'm just being honest with you. I'm just kind of putting it out there. The devil began to talk to me. And he begins to show you what you don't have and what you can't have. What you don't have money for. And he gets you concentrating in that particular vein. And when he does that, you can't really see what God's doing. And so that's what Jesus is addressing with the crowd. It's interesting to me that he knew their hearts the day before and they would have taken him and tried to make him king over them. Jesus didn't address that. But it shows a characteristic of their heart. He didn't address that that day. You know what he did? He just kind of turned and went up the mountain. But when that bunch sought him out the next day, it was time for them to get the real deal. And when they showed up the next morning and said, Where you been? How'd you get here? Jesus took that as an opportunity to mess them up. And so I believe what I believe The discourse in John 6 is about, it centers around, he uses them as a perfect teaching illustration to show us, or to cause us to think about where our priorities are. Are our priorities today with just about what Jesus is going to do for us today? And I'm not belittling that. But do we have, have we got to the place where we can kind of um, embrace One of the fundamental teachings of the Scripture concerning how God takes care of His people. Have we got to the place where we can embrace that and lift our eyes a little bit further and look out yonder and really see what God is doing? Because this whole John chapter 6 thing, it's about the people looking at their needs and about what they want and about what they desire. Neither knowing nor understanding what Jesus' mission was all about. 
And this is going to be just sort of a fundamental thing. It's going to be a rudimentary for you today, a lot of you. It's just going to be basic. But I'm telling you, this is critical to the day that we live in. And I'm going to tell you why. Is because there's coming a point where our provision is going to be sufficient, but it may not be as elaborate as it once was. And what I'm about to tell you, I'm not here to scare you, but I'm here to just I'm here to bring you into, into a, a place you just need to think about. We have spent the last three days up at the farm trying to get our corn crop in. Listen, we have made so much corn we can't even haul it off. We have got five semi-tractor trucks with hopper bottoms on them and grain tanks, and we can't even haul it off fast enough. Eighteen rows produces 250 bushels, and they ain't long rows either. And I can sit there... My job has been, we've got this tender wagon. You put, it's, a, it's a big grain hopper deal. On, works on a hydraulic dump system. My job is to get it to the combine, and he never have to stop. He just, he just keeps making swings. We call them keep making rounds. And I catch, when his hopper gets full, I pull my big wagon up beside him. We going down the road, and he turns that thing on, and it's just an augering out into my hopper when it's empty. I take off and I go to the semi where we load it down there and I dump it out. I tell you, it is a fun-looking operation. You hear me? We've had people come from all over to ride down the road just to watch what we're doing. They'll slow down and stop at the ends, fascinated by how much corn we've got and the way we're harvesting it. And so he's blessed us with a corn crop. We, we, can't, we can't even get it hauled off. It's taking all of us working hard as we can go, and there's still more corn in the field. But you know what? It ain't like that everywhere in America. Out in the breadbasket, it's drought conditions. Amen. They're not making corn. They're not even going to be able to put a combine in the field to harvest any because there's no corn on the cob. And it's that way pretty much in the heartland of America. Corn today is about $9 a bushel. Yeah. You know what that's going to do to cornflakes? You're thinking, well, if it was $4 last year, and it was 3 or 4 bucks last year at one point, and it's 8 today, well, that's cornflakes going to cost twice as much. Oh, no, 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 no. You can figure a 3 or 4 times upcharge on that corn because they're going to make you pay for it because it's in short supply. Cattle. Cattle farmers are having to liquidate their cattle in the field today, in the pasture today, because they cannot afford to buy corn to feed their cows. And have any of y'all, by the way, have any of y'all noticed, for those of you who eat steak, have you noticed the steak flavor has changed recently? It doesn't taste like it did two or three years ago. You know why? Because the steak they're importing from Argentina and Nicaragua and Peru and all those places is not being fed on corn, being fed on something else. It's a different source. And it doesn't have the same flavor. But hamburger meat is going to go probably eight, ten bucks a pound over the winter. <laughs> Do the Daniel fast in winter. Okay. We need to wake up and understand that we're living in a different world today than we lived two or three years ago. You need to be getting some emergency food supply stocks put in your house so you'll have 
something you can eat later on. It's not all going to disappear, but what I'm telling you is it's going to get much expensive. And the way we, re- we, the way we receive and partake of our daily provision is going to be different, but God's still going to provide. Amen. You hear me? Yeah. So, so this, is, this morning is not a message of fear. It's a message of reality and hope and direction allowing you to be able to fasten yourself in the right place so you'll be able to not only understand what God is doing, but actually be where He's at and cooperate with Him. But anyway, the food supply is changing. Our provision is going to change some. I never, ever, as long, listen, this is what I believe. As long as my feet are touching the ground like this and not my heels only, I'm going to have plenty. God's going to provide for me and my family. We're going to more than get by. We're going to thrive and prosper. And if I lose weight, it's going to be because I choose to not eat as much, not because I don't have anything to eat. And it's the same way with you. We've got to believe in the fundamental principle of God providing for us. That needs to be a settled issue. We cannot allow a spirit of poverty to dictate our life. Now, if we can get that issue settled, Jesus begins to give them stuff. Let's start looking here. Verse 27. Let's just kind of go down here. I want to show you how Jesus develops this. Labor not for the meat which perishes, but for that meat which endures unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath the Father sealed. Do you see the pathway of blessing here? We get from God through the Son, Jesus. Okay, Jesus has got abundance. He receives that from the Father. God sealed all that up. And Jesus is saying, labor not for the meat which perishes, but for that meat which endures unto everlasting life. Jesus gives us that from the Father. That is the preeminent thing. That is the dominant thing. This is part of what Jesus wants us to get a hold of. Next verse. Then said they unto him, oh here, boy, this is something. What shall we do that we might work the works of God? They were now getting the point. They didn't have a clue about what Jesus was talking, but they understood one thing. Jesus was not going to give them any more biscuits and gravy. The fish and the loaves were done. And so you know what they're asking Him here? Well, Jesus, if you're not going to do this for us, how can we do it for ourselves? You know what Jesus' answer to that is? You can't do it for yourselves. Not what I'm giving out. But they were... See, this is the way religion and people who are reprobate and people who don't believe and people who are carnal, this is the way they react to the gospel. What can I... We've got a system in this country whereby the church has made friends with every kind of demon that's out there. And the church has invited into her chambers and actually made a way into her chambers for people who are unregenerate, not born again, and could give a hoot less about Jesus. This is hard, ain't it? But this is the truth. 
These folks represent that. I'm not bashing them. I'm just telling you what they represent. They need Jesus really bad, but they ain't getting it today. They just, they just ain't getting it. Jesus shows them how to get it later, and they flat off refuse it. But I'm going to tell you all something. Here's what I'm getting to at this point. In terms of the gospel and what we teach and preach, we cannot afford to bend the bar that Jesus has set. When we start bending the bar to accommodate people and money and all kinds of wherewithal, when we, when we start trying to make friends with the world or the crowd that can help us get to where we're going to build our little kingdom, buddy, we have done fell off the wagon and missed the total mark. We need, we must, it's a necessity to love people who are lost. To love, not judge people who don't have Jesus and who have the bad attitude. Jesus is, the scripture is using these people for us to learn. And that's what we're there for this morning. But Jesus' heart breaks for those folks because he shows them the way later and they refuse it. But I'm going to ask you something. You ever hear me bending this thing? To suit people, to get an accolade, to get praise, to get money in the coffers for somebody to help us do what needs to get done. Stand up and throw a rock at me real quick. I won't fuss at you. Listen, if you throw a rock at me, I just gave you permission. It'll get my attention. But they asked Jesus, if you won't do it, tell us how we can do it for ourselves. Isn't that something? John, let's go to the next verse. This gets better. Y'all liking this? Y'all liking this? This okay? Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that you believe on Him who sent, whom He has sent. See, this is the way. This is what Jesus wants. What's John 3.16 say? For God so loved the world, that whosoever believes in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. That what? Whosoever believes in Him. And He is telling them, This is the work of God, that's the pathway to everything you need. Believe on Him whom he hath sent. In other words, believe on me. Do we really, is that where we are? Are we at the place where we really believe on Jesus? If we are, we have access to everything God has. I'm going to tell you all something. I've looked at that cornfield all year. I'm telling you the truth here. I'm just being transparent. And I'm not trying to preach about corn, but I'm just telling you. I have looked at that cornfield all year long. You know, we planted it, we sprayed it, we fertilized it, we watered it, we watched it, we kept the weeds cut. We did everything to that cornfield we could possibly do to make it produce. And God has given a tremendous increase to it. I looked down the rows yesterday. After we got the end stripped off and got it clean so the combine could go back into, there's not even hardly a weed in the field. I'm going to tell you all something. I've looked at that thing and yesterday I just... Yesterday... Morning was, was, and Friday was just so enjoyable. Riding that combine and just, God, what you doing here? What are you showing me? What are you, what are, what are you doing? And I just heard, I heard God say, he's been saying all week, this is a, this is a prophetic sign. This is what I'm on, this is what I'm going to do for you. This is what I'm going to do for your family. This is what I'm going to do for your ministry. This is what I'm going to do for my people. My people are about to enter into a season of unparalleled harvest. Yeah, listen, y'all. I got so excited about that. 
I felt so good. You know, riding up and down them roads, catching them buggies, just everything I could do to beat that combine back to the place where he was going to load. I want to tell you all something. In a, in an econ- don't put stock in the economy. That's right, that's right. Jesus, don't do, if, you, if you do that, oh my God, you're just going to be so disappointed. Don't put stock in the economy and don't put stock in the American dollar. Don't put stock okay, in your president or your elected officials. You need to put your stock in God. Because he he's about to unleash and to, and, to, and to release into our lives an, an awesome, incredible bounty. You can, write, you can quote me on that because it's going to happen. I don't really know what it looks like. But I'm telling you, I'm so excited about that cornfield, I can hardly stand it. And the interesting thing is it was not supposed to produce that much corn. You know what we planted it for? Here's what we planted it for. We put it behind an onion crop. Harvested the onions. Went in there and planted corn. So the corn was just going to be a cover crop. You hear me? A cover crop to get to the carrots next month that we're going to plant out there. So, so the corn was just this buffer thing. We didn't really... You know, we did the things we should do to it. But it was just... It was a means to get from there to here. How many of y'all ever been from there to here? <laughs> well, what he did in our case this year, we were just, it was just a time frame, a cover crop. But what God did, instead of just letting it be a cover crop, he gave us a bountiful harvest. And out of that one field of corn, we're looking at somewhere around $100,000 worth of corn. Or my brother-in-law is, it's his cornfield. And that's just, listen, that's just to get you from April to September. In the middle of the year. I'm going to prophesy over something, something over you right now. The cover crop that's getting you from May to here is going to be a bountiful harvest. And it's going to be more abundant than what you ever thought for. As a matter of fact, it's going to be in the place of not even expected. But God did it just because you believed. And you've been believing for years. See, that's the way this comes. Jesus said, believe on me whom the Father has sent. And you've been believing for years. It's kind of like, okay, this, here, let me tell you how this belief thing works. It's kind of like Natasha years and years ago, and I can talk about her. I've told her this story before. I think I've even made a public story one time. Well, when, when Natasha and her family all came over to us, we was down on uh, Walnut Street. Natasha was our worship leader. And, and uh, one morning I noticed she was particularly nervous. And I went up to her and I said, how you doing? What's going on? She said, well, I, I, I hadn't had time to practice this week and, and this, that, and the other. I'm just kind of a little unnerved about it. And God gave me something for her. And maybe this will help you. Here's what God gave me. I told her, I said, Natasha, you've not practiced any this week. But what about all those years, the countless hours that you've put in before the Lord, practicing and worshiping Him while you... Learn your music. I said, God's going to honor 
Not what you didn't do this week, but He's going to honor what you've been doing all your life. And here's one of the things about being a Christian, a Christian of faith that we need to get straight. God's in this thing for the long haul. You know what? You mess up this week. You don't have time for something this week. You know what? I don't think that really concerns God a whole lot. But what He's interested in is where you're headed. What you've been preparing yourself for in your family. Down for the long haul. That's what God's into. And when you come to the place, when you come to the place where you're just kind of getting you a cover crop to get you from one thing to another, man, those are the places that's ripe for harvest for God to really give you a blessing that you're not even expecting, that you can just jump up and shout about and really... He'll call your attention to it because it's above and beyond anything you thought were possible. I think that you're in that season now. I think you're in the place of the cover crop. And Jesus said, the work of God is that you just believe. Next slide. I like it. Y'all like this? I like it whether you do or not. I like it. They said, therefore unto him, what sign are you going to show us then that we may see and believe you? What dost thou work? In other words, what are you going to do to make us believe? What sign are you going to do to cause belief to rise up in us? Oh boy, watch this. These people, were, they were a piece of work. See, our fathers did eat manna in the desert as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Wonderful. Next slide. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. You know what their problem was at this point as Jesus was just beginning to unravel their true personality and their heart? They wanted something old. They wanted something familiar. They wanted something that Moses did. What they're saying to Jesus is, We'd really rather have Moses than you. That old stuff. (laughs) Okay, now another thing. Moses gave you not that bread from heaven. In other words, you want what Moses gave you to fill your stomach. He's going back to the belly thing. Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my Father's giving you the true bread from heaven. He's taking them back to what God wants to do again versus what they want to have done. Listen, don't sit around camped out about what happened way back yonder. I love history. I love to hear stories about my family some of the time, as long as it's good stories. We've got some stories that ain't so good, but I like to hear the good stories. I like history. But I, I can tell you, standing here today, I love the way God blessed my family, my forefathers, the church that I came from. I am thrilled and overjoyed with how He blessed them. But I tell you what, I don't want to live in the past like they received. What I want, I want that new, fresh thing. I want the abundance. I want the super, overflowing, extravagant Out of the ordinary stuff that God's going to do. Jesus was pointing them to the supernatural work of God early. He said, said, you ain't seeking me for the signs. Listen, there ain't a thing in the world wrong with signs, wonders, and miracles. That's normal activity in the kingdom. Jesus is saying, this is what I want you to see. And this is what He wants you to see. He wants us to see that. He wants us to live in that dimension. And so I'm not after Moses. And I'm not after what God did for for great-grandpa and great-great-grandma, although he blessed them extraordinarily. I know he did. Because if he didn't, I wouldn't even be here and standing in front of you. 
I never would have made it because somebody would have died along the way. But I'm here, which means he did a good work in their life. But I want the extravagant. I want to see people leave their walkers in their wheelchairs. I want to see people get there here. And I want to see cancer disappear. I want to see all that stuff that plagues and hurts and belittles and takes energy and life from my friends and companions and family. I hate the work of the devil. I want to see the work of God become fully manifest. And we can't see the work of God become fully manifest if we're living in the past. I don't want what Moses had. I don't want what great-grandpa had. I want what God's got for me today and tomorrow and next week and next month for the balance of my life. I want the whole thing. I don't want to get shorted any. See? That's where Jesus was getting at. Next slide. For the bread of God is he which comes down from heaven and gives life unto the world. Next slide. Talking about Jesus. <laughs> oh, then they said unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. Now here's where he's really fixing to mess them up. I am the bread of life. He that comes to me shall never hunger, and he that believes on me shall never thirst. Next slide. But I said unto you that ye also have seen me and believe not. Uh-huh. Bunch of unbelievers. Did Jesus change? Let me ask you something. Did Jesus change his message just because the whole lot of them were unbelievers? Did he make it easy for them to come to him and believe he was the son of God? What did he do? He told them, he said, you have got to believe. And then... He says, but your problem is you don't believe. We, let me tell you something. We're coming into a day and age that's going to be, it's going to be critical that we don't compromise belief in Jesus, repentance, and the work of the Holy Spirit. Those three things, we're coming into, we're coming into an age where and you've got, you got to get past point one and point two to get to point three. We cannot compromise. We cannot change the message just because somebody's unbelief. you got to put it out there, and they've got the Holy Ghost that's been working in them has, has got to well up, and, and then they've got to make a decision based on what they know God has done. Okay? Next. All that the Father gives me shall come to me, and him that comes to me I will no wise cast out. Boy, that's a glorious verse. For I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which has sent me, that of all which He has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. Here you go. Now we're beginning to get into it. Jesus wouldn't give them bread for that day. He gave them the truth. They rejected it. They wouldn't receive it. And Jesus is going one step further here now to prove to them that, that we've got to get beyond what God, beyond the provision of God for today and get into what Jesus is really wanting to do, like for the long term, and here it is. The long term effect of Jesus' ministry and sacrifice on this earth is that one day He is going to raise us up again. And that's when life really starts. It's about what God's doing and His ultimate plan and purpose. 
His ultimate plan and purpose is not to leave you dead. Wouldn't it be, boy, the gospel would be, it'd be a cruel trick, wouldn't it, if he just left us dead? If, when we die, the soul was just annihilated, and he didn't keep that spirit until the last day, when he comes back again for the resurrection of the just and the unjust, See, this is what Jesus is after. This is part of what God is doing that we have to be concerned with. Next slide. <laughs> and this is the will of Him that sent me, that everyone which sees the Son and believes on Him may have everlasting life, and I will raise Him up at the last day. The Jews then murmured at Him because He said, I am the bread which comes down from heaven. Now, they were beginning to get a little restless. They were beginning to talk amongst themselves. I like what Sister Diane said last night we were talking she said, it was the religious crowd that killed Jesus. That's why you cannot, that's why you nor I can afford to be hooked into religious sentimentality. If we begin to cozy up to religious sentiment, and if we begin to adopt their words, their voices, and their attitudes, it would be a bad, bad time now, wouldn't it? But here they're beginning to murmur at him because he said, I'm the bread which comes down from heaven. And this is just the beginning of their anger. Like I said. And they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he said, I came down from heaven? You know what they're doing here? This is to reinterpret that. Who does he think he is? He was born in a manger. I, don't, I wasn't necessarily born in the manger. I had a midwife. My mama had a midwife. I had a house. This was born in the manger. His daddy was a carpenter. Matter of fact, his daddy's dead. There's his mom. Don't we know his mothers and his brothers? We know who he is. He's, he's human like us, but he's less than we are. See, this is where they were going. This is what happens when people are taken by a spirit of poverty. They begin to look at Jesus and his provision as being non-existent. Well, he can't provide for me. Yeah, but see, they forgot about all that. And so, he's just like me, or he, he's not even as good as I am. What am I even talking to him for? Spirit of poverty is a bad thing. Next slide. Jesus therefore answered and said unto them, Murmur not amongst yourselves. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him and I will raise him up at the last day. That's about the third time Jesus has talked about the resurrection, isn't it? Next slide. As it is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. Every man therefore that hath heard and hath learned of the Father comes to me. Not that any man hath seen the Father, save he which is of God. He hath seen the Father. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believes on me has everlasting life. He's drawing the line right here. He's already told them, you don't believe on me. And now he's telling them, you don't believe on me and you don't have everlasting life. Man, can you imagine the trouble a lot of pastors get into this morning if they begin to start talking about that to their congregation? And if he, had, he or she had the boldness to stand up there and say, you know, I know there's a lot of you out here ain't saved and you're pretending that you are. 
You've been, you've been, you've been pretending to believe, but I know, but I know you, I know that you don't believe. And now, if you don't believe, you don't even have everlasting life. How many? Listen, how many pastors would kind of be bold enough to take that train of thought and then give an altar call? Because they might come front running with sticks and stones and rubber chickens and all that kind of stuff. But I'm going to tell you, this is the boldness of Jesus. Jesus cut the mustard clean. And He told them not what they wanted to hear, but He told them what their soul needed to have. And what their soul needed was to collapse and believe on Jesus. But Jesus said, you don't believe. And He was preaching the gospel to them in a way which they didn't like, but it's the way they need it. It's the way we all need it. Next slide. I am that bread of life. How many times did he say that? Two or three times. Next slide. This is so cool. Your fathers did eat the manna <laughs> in the wilderness and are dead. What he's saying here is, y'all want Moses and what Moses had. The folks who got what Moses had are now dead. And he let them make the comparison between what he was saying and who they were. What he said is, y'all all dead and you just don't even know it. That's what I, I'm telling you, this is what, I, this is what I'm seeing. Next slide. This is good. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. I'm the living bread which comes down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Oh boy, talking about crucifixion now is sacrifice. Next slide. This gets good. The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? They were thinking cannibalism. Do you see how far the unregenerate carnal mind is from the heart of God? They couldn't make the parallel that Jesus was talking about partaking of Him, of His presence, of His life, of everything that He was and who He was. They didn't understand that that's the kind of consumption for their daily needs. They couldn't, they couldn't embrace that kind of consumption. They're thinking He's talking about cannibalism. Man, oh man. Next slide. Just a few more and we're done. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoso eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. Here we go. He that eats my flesh and drinks my blood dwells in me and I in him. As the living Father has sent me and I live by the Father, so he that eats me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eats of this bread shall live forever. These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Now you see what was happening here? This is what, what you've got to get. The crowd came to him and approached him wherever he was. He was not in the synagogue right then. Jesus began to preach to them. And he began to present the gospel to them in an allegorical way. And they couldn't understand it. They were steeped in unbelief. 
And as he were talking, and as he got further into it, they murmured and complained, and Jesus was just walking toward the synagogue. And he went into the synagogue. And as he took the place of, of probably of teaching in there, he was kind of winding it down. But they followed him. Many therefore of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can hear it? And when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said to them, Does this offend you? What and if ye shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? It is the Spirit that quickens. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. Now he's looking at the twelve here. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. (laughs) And he said, Therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him by my Father. From that time many of the disciples went back and walked no more with him. In other words, this was a dividing line. Then Jesus said unto the twelve, Will you also go away? We're reaching the place now. You hear me. Conditions are going to change. They're going to develop according to the purposes of God for the end times. And as the gospel is going to be preached, and I think, it's, I think there's going to be a clarification of the gospel message. I think it's going to be, let me say this, less user-friendly. I believe God's going to raise up a spirit of boldness and directness with the people who preach the gospel not only in churches but in mission fields and on the streets and everywhere else, I believe there's going to become a more directness. And I believe at some point in time, there's going to become, it's it's going to be like a lightning rod. The gospel is going to become like a lightning rod again. And that's when we're really going to see the power of God manifest itself in our personal lives, in our churches, in our businesses, in our schools, and in our communities. When it becomes a lightning rod again. I don't see the message right now or as it has been in the last 30 years really be a lightning rod to cause men and women to choose. When these folks heard this message, they left, a lot of them left and went their own way. And Jesus turned to the twelve and said, Y'all going to go away too? Does this offend you? Does this make you mad? Does this raise your hackles? Well, you don't hear that phrase very much anymore, do you? Raise your hackles, make your bristles rise up. <laughs> I don't either. I just heard it and it sounded good, so I thought I'd use it. Somebody might need to Google hackles and see. That's the hair on the dog. That's the hackles. Okay. All right. We could bring our little dog Jack in here and make him mad, and we could get his hackles up, and you could see it. <laughs> but with Jack, not only does his hackles rise up, he puts off an odor and he stinks, so comes a stinking thing. Anyway, but see, here's the thing. I'll go ahead and say this. I, I, don't think it, I don't think it's happening with this bunch, with our ministry, but I tell you what. I think there's going to be people who are going to leave organized church and they're going to stay away from the gospel because it's going to become so offensive to them. And the church has got to make a decision whether or not it's important to 
be absolutely truthful or compromise to try to keep from offending people. And I, I'm going to be real. I think the church has been through that phase, not wanting to offend people. You know, we've got a nice building here. God's provided for us. But I'll just tell you, there's a temptation out there. If you've got a three or this ain't no three or four million dollar building, but if you've got a three or four million dollar, there's a temptation out there. You better keep the noses and the nickels because you're going to need them. I don't think God's interested in that. God's interested in one thing, what Jesus was interested in, and that was the soul of the people. But will you also go away? Watch this. <laughs> Next slide. So cool. Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. See, Peter got it. Peter was getting away from the place of trying to understand and embrace God's provision for the day and see what God was doing. And he heard this discourse. And this discourse was as much for Jesus' 12 as it was for the rest of them. But Peter got it. You know what my prayer for you is today? My prayer for you is that you get it. And my prayer for you is you no longer worry and fret yourself about your daily provision and wondering where your food's going to come from today and wondering where your house is going to be today. I won't, we need to get past all that. And we need to get on with what God's saying and what God's doing. See, that's what Jesus was saying. Come on. He said, I'm interested in your soul. I'm interested in your, your, your hunger and thirst for me and for my father to be taken care of. I'm, I'm, try, I'm pointing you in the right direction. And the only way you get there is through really believing. Y'all, we've got to really believe. And we need to prophesy. Man, I found myself yesterday when God just kind of began to uh, unravel to me what he was doing in that cornfield. I just began to prophesy. Boy, I tell you what, if you see, if you see God into your cover crop, you need to start prophesying over that thing. Because what we were looking for out of that cover crop was probably 100 bushels an acre. That's really what we planted it for. And the way you get more corn is you bring the stalks of plant population together. And you get, if you want high yield corn, you plant it about this far apart. You plant it so close together that if you're walking down the road, you can't even go to the right to the next road because it, it's, like, it's like a bar. You, know, you plant it for about that far apart. We planted our corn that far apart. And we got this yield. Y'all, God's doing something. He's doing something in your life. Grab a hold of it. Believe. The only thing Jesus is asking you to do is to believe. Because if you believe what? What happens then? All things become possible if you don't believe guess what everything is impossible because I promise you if you don't believe there's nothing possible and a lot of times I'm just telling you you can judge and grade and evaluate the belief slash faith level of people when they start when they start confessing what they believe and what they don't believe 
You know what I, here's what I believe. We were talking about this this morning. The presence of God is going to come so strong in worship. In the next short while, I'm not talking about years, I'm talking about weeks and months. The presence of God is going to become so strong. Joel 2 is actually going to be seen in worship where old folks and young folks are going to be able to worship together and there's going to be a, there's going to be a conjunction in the Spirit and there's an anointing is going to be released and the old folks... Worship is... And the presence of God is going to work like an anti-aging device. Yeah, I'll take it too. Right, let me tell you also, I started dancing up here this morning. You know how long it's been since I felt like dancing in church? It's been a while. But you know what God's doing? He's giving me energy. He is. He's giving me energy and vitality. Uh, I'm, 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 try, I'm doing the things I know to make myself more healthy. I told Sister Jane, I lose a few more pounds, I might be able to do the cha-cha-cha. You know what she told me? You ain't done the cha-cha-cha when you was 185. But I just, I'm going to surprise y'all one day. I'm going to look up on the internet. I'm on YouTube, cha-cha-cha. I'm going to see what it is. And, and one of these days when the anointing falls on me just right, I'm going to cha-cha. But seriously, there's an anointing coming in worship where I believe it's going to work like an anti-aging device. Aches and pains are going to go away. There's going to be healing. And there's going to be, there's going to be a glory of God like we've never seen before. That's what I believe. Yo, I believe God's going to do some strange, extraordinary, wonderful, unusual, out-of-the-box stuff. Only if we believe. Only if we believe. Only if we believe. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you that you have got us, you, 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 you have, <laughs> you've got us where you want us. I thank you, dear God, that we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God whom you sent with power to redeem the earth. We believe that He's not failed, that He is now seated at the right hand of God making intercession for us, and He's right here present with us right now, beside us and in us, working, stimulating, encouraging, empowering, doing stuff in us. Father, show us how to release Him in the community. We want to see the signs and the wonders and the miracles, not just for the glory bumps of it, but we want to see that stuff that would be a witness to the lost and those going to hell that Jesus is who He says He is and that that would bring men and women to Jesus. Father, we're here. You've placed yourself in us. You've given us the promises of God. Now, Father, Father God, use us. In Jesus' name, amen.